Welcome back to the Word Encounter episode 259. And today we're at the book of 1 John. Now, John was um, uh, the author of this book, or uh, overwhelmingly, that's what the presumption is. The Apostle John was the uh, author of this book. And uh, John was one of the three that were in Jesus's inner circle. So you had Peter, James, and John. And so this is John who also authored uh, the Gospel of John. And here we have, he's writing three letters uh, to the church at large. And so we see here that John at this stage in his life is relatively advanced in age. He's at least 70 years old and probably, or, or possibly I should say, more like 80, maybe 85 or somewhere in that vicinity. And um, when, he writ, uh, when he wrote this epistle, he, he's probably uh, the last surviving apostle. All of the other ones, uh, by the time he has written this, are probably deceased. Now, he's writing this, like I said before, to the church at large, and um, is probably looking back on his life and wants to make sure that before he parts from this earth, that he leaves the proper instructions for the church. Um, it was written probably somewhere between 75 and 100 A.D., somewhere in that vicinity. John was born in 6 A.D., and so we see uh, he had many years of life, and, uh, but it's not exactly sure when this particular book was written. Where was he when he wrote this? He was probably in Ephesus uh, when he uh, wrote this particular letter to the churches. And uh, why? What's the purpose? Well, he wrote it basically to enhance the believer's intimate fellowship with the Lord. He wanted to uh, make sure that they were properly aligning themselves and had the proper relationship to the Lord. And he was also warning against false teaching. So with that, let's get started. So we see here, let's drop down to verse five. It says, fellowship with God. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. None. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. So John is saying, if we know the Lord and yet we're walking in darkness, we're doing evil things. OK, we're doing wicked things and says uh, that we're lying to ourselves and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we have wickedness in us, if we have darkness in us, but we say we have no sin, John is saying you're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us uh, all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, yet we're still sinning, we have made him a liar. See, and his word is not in us. <clears throat> in chapter two, verse one, my little children. I am writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is, atoning, is, uh, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So he says, look, we are not to sin. We know this, but we're not perfect because we're human, so we do sin. 
But if anyone sins, know that you have an advocate, the Father, Jesus, with the Father, Jesus Christ. Know that you have a, uh, that, that, that your defense attorney stands before the judge. The judge being God, your defense attorney being Jesus Christ. And he is righteous. And he is advocating on our behalf before the Father. It says he himself is the atoning sacrifice. God's commands, verse 3. This is how we know that we, uh, that we know him. How do we know that we know Lord, uh, the Lord? If we keep his commands, that's how we know. <laughs> it's very simple. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. Let's keep it simple, John. Tell it to him straight. Tell it to him plain. If you keep his commands, then you know the Lord. If you don't, then you don't. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. See, John is making it very plain, very simple. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. And uh, this, this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. <clears throat> Verse 10. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The litmus test here is if you love your fellow believer. If you love your fellow believer, then it says that you won't stumble. If you don't, John's saying you're in darkness. You can't love the Lord and not love his children. You know, he's making it very simple. He's going to expand on that a little bit later. Let's drop down here to verse 18. It says a warning about the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So what, what exactly does that mean? Well, verse 16, for everything in the world, that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions. So John is saying, if you love those things, the father is not in you. <clears throat> a lot of times we we have pride in our houses or pride in our vehicles, our cars or pride in the way our partner looks or, or pride in this or pride in that. Or we see things and we want them. We covet them. We desire them. Our eyes lead us astray because it sees things and wants them and covets them and that sort of thing. And, and John is saying, look, if you allow those things to happen, if you allow those things to exist in your life. If you allow yourself to have those perspectives, then it says that the Father is not in you. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. The last hour, verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. But this we know that this is the last hour. And so the anti what exactly is the Antichrist? I know most of us out there who are seeing or listening to this have heard of this term. And everybody uh, seems to have kind of their own 
perspective on, on, on what or who the Antichrist is. As we get down further, John is going to, again, make it plain. So let's keep going. Verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they did not belong from us. He's talking about the Antichrist spirit or the Antichrist people. That's uh, what he's referring to when he says they. They went out from us, but they, they did not belong from us, implying that at one time they were believers, but they left and went their own separate way. He says they went out from us, but they, uh, but they essentially they never belonged to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that they might be made so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from uh, an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? <clears throat> who is the liar? If it's not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, John is implying there is no uh, greater liar than the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist. The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that person, that organization, that entity, that is the Antichrist. The one who... <clears throat> is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son is the Father. He who confesses uh, the Son has the Father as well. No one who denies the Son has the Father. If you don't deny the Son, then you in fact have the Father. And he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Remaining in God. Verse 24. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. What you have heard from the beginning, when the gospel was preached to you, what you have heard from the be beginning, have, guard that with everything you have so that it remains in you. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. And this is the promise that Jesus himself made to those of us who would choose to believe, eternal life. If you believe me, says the Lord, you will have eternal life. John says, I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. That's kind of a provocative statement. John is saying, look, essentially, don't let anybody deceive you because nobody actually, uh, or, or should say, you don't require, you don't need anybody to teach you because of the anointing that you receive. The anointing will teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you, it says it right here. Instead, his anointing teaches you, teaches you what? About all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it, is, just as it has taught you, remain in him. The anointing that tells you to remain in him is also the source that can teach you all things. A lot of times we look for confirmation 
and what we believe might be true through the vessels of other people. And the word even says that we're, we're to get counsel from others. But ultimately, ultimately, the responsibility for what is taught to you and what you absorb as knowledge and what you know, ultimately, that responsibility is yours. It's not anybody else's. And John is saying that you are equipped essentially to uh, uh, accurately teach yourself through the vessel of the anointed Holy Spirit. God's children. So now, little children, remain in him. Let me go back to that. Because <clears throat> this word encounter, word encounter series is uh, um, proclaiming the word and in many ways is teaching the word. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter really, um, you know, the perspectives I have or whatever. Now, when I read the word, I'm reading the word as the word is written. You know, so the word is being proclaimed and going forth unfiltered. But, you know, as is obvious, I'm making comments here and there as we go through the word. So there's an element of teaching that exists there. Okay, but still the responsibility for teaching oneself belongs to oneself is what John is saying. God's children. So now, little children, remain in him. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right is born of him. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who, do, who does what is right has been born of him. So those of us who, who behave righteously, who, who, who do what is right, it says that uh, we are born of him. See, and that's a part of him remaining in us. A lot of us have a lot of self-condemnation. You know, we despise ourselves. The Lord doesn't want that. Well, it says, look, you are essentially a powerful vessel. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you're a piece of trash, how can my blessed Holy Spirit live in you? Chapter 3. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. A lot of times, the reason that the world reacts adversely to us, to what comes out of our mouths, assuming, right, assuming righteous things are coming out of our mouths, is because it didn't know him. And so they're going by their own sense of ethical behavior and righteousness and whatnot, not by God's. They're using their own standard. And they don't recognize that what we say, what comes out of our mouth, that is, in fact, inspired by the Holy Spirit and is from the throne of God. They don't recognize it because they don't know him. So sometimes without what, uh, what comes out of our mouth sounds foreign. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. No one. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil uh, has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God has, has been revealed for this purpose, this is an awesome thing to remember. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose. What purpose is that, Mike? To destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 
The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from, be, from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was revealed, to destroy what the devil has been doing. What has the devil been doing or attempting to do? To turn the thing that's most precious to the Lord against him. To turn God's children, to turn the people on this planet against God. That is the work of the devil because he's trying to destroy what is most precious to God. And so Jesus came in order that we might be saved. And in that, that destroys the work of the devil because he's trying to get us to turn from God and to stay turned from God. For in verse nine, it says, everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Huh? Another way it's translated, everyone who has been born of God does not practice sin, does not make sin a practice. All men fall, all men uh, sin, but not all men practice sin, make it a lifestyle, try to defend it, you know, <laughs> Uh, justify it, rationalize it. Everyone who has been born of God does not practice sin because his, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin. Huh? He's not able to sin? No. He is not able to keep on sinning. Okay? And because he doesn't want to you know, practice sin, therefore he can't keep on sinning because he's not trying to justify the sin or the sin behavior because he has been born of God. Verse 10, <clears throat> this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not want to do right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Uh, whoever uh, does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. So if one does not love his brother or sister, he's not of God. If one does love his brother or sister, he is of God, his fellow believer. And so it's very simple, very simple to determine, a very simple litmus test. Does one love his brother or sister in Christ or does one not? It's very simple. Love and action in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. In other words, we know that we have been born again. Okay, that we have this new lease on life as evidenced by the fact that we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Essentially, John is saying, if you do not love your brother and sister, you have not been resurrected with Christ. You're still dead. You have not been reborn. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And so you don't have to physically murder somebody to be a murderer. John is saying if you hate, if you despise your brother or sister, you're essentially a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You cannot keep that hate in you towards your brother or sister and still have claims toward, uh, to eternal life. Now, this is John talking. <clears throat> he's, he's talking under the inspiration of the Lord, and so why it's coming from God, I believe it's coming from actually the Holy Spirit. You can't do this. It's not compatible. Verse 16, 
This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow. Okay. Now, when we think of the word love, we think of affection and an emotional component. But to, to love, uh, as uh, to manifest love, to, to have love worked out and worked through us, we actually don't need the components of emotion and affections and whatnot. <clears throat> love is not a feeling thing. It's an action thing. And so you can actually be ambivalent towards or even possibly dislike a brother or sister, yet still act in love, yet still demonstrate love. See, this is how we uh, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Does that mean our physical life? I think that's in an extreme case, but in an everyday sense, you know, lay down our lives, meaning, meaning not putting our own selfish desires and ambitions um, ahead of assisting a brother or sister. OK, now let's go. Let's go to verse 17, because I think he gives an example here. He says, if anyone has the uh, has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? So if anyone has this world's goods, if anyone has the means and the resources to help a brother and sis or sister when they see them in need, but they don't do it, John is saying, how does God's love reside in you? See, so you don't have to like somebody to see a need. And if you can fulfill it, they're a brother or sister in the, in the, in the Lord, then it's incumbent upon you to assist them. Regardless of how you feel about them, that's a demonstration of love. That's an act of love. In verse 17, it says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. Let's not just be talkers is what John is saying. Let's actually do something about it. In verse 19, I'm going to skip over to uh, the Passion Translation. So let me get the Passion Translation because I like the way it, it, it's written here. And it says, we know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in, the, in his presence. Whenever our hearts make us feel guilty and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience. And he knows everything there is to know about us. Some, sometimes we allow our self-hatred and self-condemnation to get in the way of what's in our heart. Okay. But the word is saying God knows us. He knows what's in our heart and he's going to work it out for us. See, Verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn, don't condemn us, if we don't just like look at ourselves in this awful negative way, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. We receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands. See, if we keep his commands, it's my belief that if we are incapable of asking for things that are not in congruence with who he is. See, he doesn't have any obligation to supply the things that we ask for that are outside of his uh, character, nature, integrity, and so on and so forth. But if we keep those things, then I believe that we won't ask for anything that is not in alignment with who he is. Because we uh, keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now, this is his command 
that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. And so we see here that that's his command. And so we go back to what came out of uh, Jesus' mouth himself. He says, basically, these are the two major commandments. Everything else falls under these. That uh, You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You keep those things, everything else is going to fall in alignment. Chapter 4. It says, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. The spirits being prophecies. He's saying test prophecies that come out of man's mouth. You know, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so when you hear a prophetic word, you just don't accept it. You test it. It says in verse two, this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh is not from God. See, a lot of people, you know, you know, know about Jesus, uh, heard the name or whatever. But 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 John is making a real uh, a point here, a distinction here. He's saying, look, from the mouths of the people that are saying these uh, prophetic words, if they're confessing that Jesus has come in the flesh, this is critical because for Jesus to come on earth in the flesh and manifest in the flesh, did so so that he could relate to man. So him being in the flesh is a critical component of his death and resurrection. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus in the, uh, that did not confess, does not confess that Jesus came in the flesh, those people aren't from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is what John is saying. For you have heard this, uh, for you have heard this coming. Even now it is already in the world. So there are already Christ deniers. There are already people that deny that Christ came in the flesh. He says in verse four, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Conquered them what? The Antichrist spirits. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. So the world listens to those people that deny Christ. <clears throat> the world doesn't want to. People don't want to call themselves into accountability. So they listen to those Antichrist voices. He says, we are from God. We also know uh, anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. And so we need to discern whether people are listening and not waste their time. Knowing God through love. Dear friends, let us want love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is, in fact, love. God's love is revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. See? So that we might live, because we have a choice in the matter, that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent uh, his son Jesus to be, to, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loves, loved us in this way, we must also love one another. Loving one another is a very heavy theme in, in, in John's writing. Because it's a manifestation of whether God is in you or not. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. <clears throat> there is no fear. Oh, 
Let me see. Yes. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Let me go back up to verse 17. Let me read the Passion Translation. Uh, It says, by living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus uh, now is, we are in this world. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. We are everything that Jesus is in this world. And it says that we don't have to fear judgment day when we're filled with the love of God. Since there is no fear in love, instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. We don't need to fear punishment on Judgment Day if we're filled with love. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Uh, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. How can you love something invisible if you can't love that which is visible, is what John is saying. In verse 21, he says, and we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. That is non-optional. And with that, we are finished with 1 John chapter 4. We'll pick up chapter 5 tomorrow. Do not forget, always remember the invitation that is consistently coming from uh, Christ seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, all the time. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he promises that you will have eternal life. And that's the bottom line. Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he grace us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.